All right, all right, all right, all right. Lord, God is so good. It's good to see everybody. I hope everybody had an awesome Christmas. We had an awesome, awesome Christmas. Our Christmas plate was amazing. It was hilarious. Uh, we, we had a great time uh, last Sunday. You know, uh, Nick taught on uh, breaking addictions of thoughts. Amazing stuff. You need to listen to that. You know, just stuff that sets you up for the year, you know, for life. And um, we had an awesome uh, new year. And today is the first Sunday of the year. And so uh, as the first Sunday of the year, we're going to start on the last book of the Bible. So open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, okay? And, um, you know, God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's seen it all. He's been in the beginning. He's been to the end. And the amazing thing about it is that he wrote a book to tell us about it, and that's the Bible, right? In the Bible, he tells us everything that's happened before, that is happening now, that is going to happen. And therefore, it's a book of a lot of wisdom because God is warning us and telling us of how things happen in life. You know, and also somewhere in there in Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, meaning I didn't miss anything, even though it's a new year, even though it's a new iPhone, even though it's a new of everything or whatever it is, there's nothing new under the sun. All things work in the same patterns, in the same principles, in the same cycles and stuff. So if you have my word, you have everything you need for life, to live a righteous life, to live life according to what he called you to live. You know, so, so, so he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, and he wrote the book about it. So when we read this book and we, we learn from it, it's, and we do it, right? That's the key. It's called wisdom, and we live by wisdom instead of pain. Right? We've all lived by pain before. We've had painful things and situations in our lives. But what if we had a book that told us and warned us about something so that we wouldn't have to go through that? That'd be amazing, right? And we do, and we have it, and it's the Bible. And so if we read the Bible, if we treasure and we study it, you know, it will save us pain. It will save us wasted time. It will restore our lives, and it'll put us on, on the right track to what we were called to do which is the place of most satisfaction. You will never be more satisfied in your life than doing what God created you to do with Him. And that's what everybody's looking for. Everybody's looking for happiness. Everybody's looking for satisfaction. Everybody's looking for, you know, peace. But there's no place where there's more of that than doing what He created you to do with Him. It's, it's in relationship with Him, and, and it's what He called you to do. That's the only place where you're going to find true, real satisfaction in life. So that's why knowing who our Father is, and knowing who we are, and knowing who He created us to do, is so important in order to be able to have any kind of the byproduct of what we call happiness. You know, it's a byproduct, you know. It's not what we pursue. We pursue Him, and as a byproduct, we've, we're happy, we're satisfied, we're full of joy, we're full of peace. Um, okay, so so I say that because uh, if, if we go to Revelation, you know, uh, first of all, chapter 1 and then verse uh, 3, it says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. So who is this prophecy read to? And who is the church? Raise your hand. Yeah, that's us, right? We are the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's people. It's not a building. It's not an institution. Okay? And it says, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey... 
what it says. So there's, there's two very key components to what we're going to study today, is to listen, and then... Oh, only about half of you can say that word, you know, without feeling like your school teacher is behind you with a ruler or something, or your mom or your dad's with the chancla chasing you, you know, obey me! Some people, chancla, sorry, it's a a Mexican, you know, term for discipline of the Lord. (laughs) Um, You know, obedience is a trigger word for many people, right? Obedience for many sounds like, abuse, restriction, limitation, I don't want to, why do I have to, you know? But we forget who we are listening to, you know. This isn't a dictator. This isn't an evil king. This isn't, you know, a selfish person. This is our Father, right? And so when our Heavenly Father, who has given His only Son for us to live, tells us, hey, there's a blessing when you listen to this and when you obey it, then I know this is coming from the person that loves me the most, even when I disobey. So that should change my attitude. That should change my heart to say, okay, I want to listen because I know this is only going to be good for me, right? And so it says there's a blessing to all who listen and obey to this message for the time is near. So we're going to study, you know, the end today or part of it, right? It's a huge book. And actually you can come on Wednesday and listen to Nick teach on a whole lot more of it, you know. There's so much more to the book of Revelation, uh, and it's not just about end times, you know. As a matter of fact, what I'm teaching today is about today. It's about your life today, you know, and it's, and it's something that was written to the whole church body in general. And I think few times we take time to learn stuff from Revelation for our lives today. And so let's go to chapter 2. And we're going to go to verse 1, okay? And it says, write this letter to the angel or the messenger, okay? Another version says the messenger of the church of Ephesus. Now, this is also uh, read in some versions as the overseer of the church. So some people um, interpret this as not just an an actual angel from heaven, but as the overseer or the pastor or the leader of that church, okay? So that's what that uh, different translations of the word, the word angel there could be. It says, of the church in Ephesus, okay? So this is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands. You know, uh, each lampstand represents the church. Each star represents one of the angels or one of the uh, overseers of the church. Okay, and these letters were written to not just to the church of Ephesus, but when you start reading throughout these from chapter two all the way through chapter uh, three, the end of chapter three, um, you realize that this is for all the churches to read, not just for one. It's almost like the the letters of Paul. The letters of Paul were you know, given to different churches, but it was for everyone to read the letter, right? It's for us. We read those letters today. So the same thing with these seven letters. They're not just for the church of Ephesus there, but it's for all of us to learn from all these letters what it could be because there's different 
types of churches. So the church of Ephesus is the first letter. Then the second one is Smyrna, Pergamum, Theatra, um, Sardis, and then Philadelphia and Laodicea. You know, so all these, I encourage you to you know, read these on your own and to see what, what is God saying to each of these churches because it's the same thing he's saying to us. Are you following me? So this isn't just for the end because it's in Revelation and it isn't just for the church of Ephesus. But there's things in here that God is saying, pay attention to these things so that you don't fall into these things. Are you with me? And so today we're going to look at the church of Ephesus. Okay. Um, It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is a message from the one who holds seven stars in his right hand. The one who walks among the seven gold stamps. Verse 2. Check this out. I love it because even here you can see the sandwich uh, technique, you know, with, when he's correcting people. Like even, even God uses the sandwich technique. He tells them what's good with them. Then he throws in a little bit of uh, feedback of what you need to change, what you need to work on. And then it ends on a good note again. Even that is in the Bible. Watch. It says, I know all the things you do. Tell the person next to you, God knows all the things that you do. <laughs> Just if, in case you forgot and all the things that you think and all the things that you feel. Okay. And it says, I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. Okay, so the Lord says to you also, I have seen your hard work. So I want you to know, not just see all the bad things you do or all the bad things you think. It says, I see all your hard work. I see all the good things that you do, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. So in other words, they were being diligent. There was a lot of people rising up in those times and, you know, uh, preaching different messages and stuff, and they examined them. They examined their fruit. They, they, they saw, you know, so that they weren't, wouldn't be swayed by every doctrine that came by, right? The, uh, James talks about that. You know, the book of James says that. Do not be swayed just by anybody who says anything. It's like, listen, examine them. You know, is it in the Word, you know? And then it says, I know you don't tolerate evil. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not, and you have discovered they're liars. It says, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Right? Remember suffering, Pastor Kara uh, told us uh, a few months ago, that suffering is taking on the heart of God on what's important to Him and making it our own burden, making it our own heart, making it important to us. That is taking on His cross. It's saying, what's important to you now is going to become my number one goal in life. Because we could live a pretty selfish life that says, hey, listen, God, you know, I'm going to do real good over here. And then all my extra time, I'm going to give it to you. All my extra money, I'm going to give it to you. And on Sundays, I'm even going to go to church. <laughs> Unless there's something really, really important. That, you know, and we could have that kind of attitude with God as a side thing. You know, but that's not, that's not really what we're called. That's not suffering for him. That's not, you know, and then some people think suffering for him is just like, you know, living sick and poor and, you know, and being miserable. And that's, that's also not it, you know. 
Suffering for God, you know, what the Bible talks about, it's referring to taking on his burden and the things that are important to him is what a friend does with a friend when it says, oh, that's important to you. Well, it's going to be important to me. It's what a spouse does for their spouse is that's important to you. I'm going to fight for that because that's important to you. And that's a two way, healthy, loving relationship. And he's the first one. The Bible tells us he first loved us. Even while we were still sinners, he loved us first. And he loved us so much, he went all the way. What did he do? He gave us salvation through the life of his son, Jesus. Right? So what's left for us is a response. It's the response that we're going to give with our lives. And that's where we're at. It says, um, you've patiently suffered for me without quitting. That's important, right? Without quitting. It's important how we start the year, so we're here. But it's important that we, we, we stay diligent, that we become steadfast, that we don't quit. You know, the Bible tells us, uh, do not grow weary in well-doing, for at its appointed time, at its proper time, we will receive a number of blessings, right? Or abundant harvest, a different version says. So that means we keep on going, even when I don't feel it. You're working. Even when I don't see it, we know he's working. And we do our part. And we stay diligent. Why? This is telling us right here. Without quitting. It's important that we don't quit. Okay? And then verse 4 says, but. uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Are you ready for this but? (laughs) It says, I have this complaint against you. Mm. You don't love me. Or each other as you first as you did at first. You don't love me, or you don't love each other as you did at first. Ouch. Look how far you have fallen. And it says, turn back to me, or repent, right? Repent is turning around. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But it is in your favor, okay, and the positive thing. It's in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. See, I love God. He's a, he's a rewarder of those who seek Him. There's always a reward. There's always a reward. Who likes rewards? Yeah, We all love rewards. He's a God that rewards those who seek Him. And so He's telling us, look, here's something that didn't just happen to this church, but it happens to people. So these guys were good. They hated evil. They didn't tolerate those things. They had taken on God's burden and suffered with him without quitting, right? So they were doing a lot of good things. But they did not love God and did not love each other as they did at first. Um, and so that's where we're going to stay for the, for the next few minutes. You know, what does this mean? And where is my heart, you know? Um, in verse... In verse 6, it says, This is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. So, so what were the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans? You know, the Nicolaitans 
Um, they were a group that had introduced uh, a different doctrine, you know, different thoughts, like almost like a different path and theology. And one, you know, just to make this short, it says um, they had ideas like the Bible is just a piece of the truth. It's not all of it, okay? Uh, let's become more like the world uh, so that they feel more invited, uh, so that we can connect more with them. Let's, let's not be so, so um, black and white. So the Nicolaitans were, were very uh, wishy-washy on their doctrine. They were, they were not uh, radicals, you know, and they were starting to uh, allow immorality and things like that. Just saying like, well, nothing's really bad, bad. You know, and even to the point where some, some of the places it was leading to, it was to uh, Jesus isn't really the only way, right? And so, see, deception starts with, with a little lie, right? Did God really say? Same thing in Genesis, right? Same thing in Genesis. Did God really say? So now we're in Revelation, you know, and you have the Nicolaitans who are just starting to bend a little bit of things and saying, hey, you know, look. It's the, well, it was in the 21st century then, right? But that's what people say today. It's like, hey, you know, we live in the 21st century. Like, you know, it's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. And how are we going to reach them unless we're more like them? Oh, yeah, I guess that sounds right. We want to reach them, right? So that they know that God loves them. Let's become more like them. Yeah, show them that what they're doing is not really wrong. That how they think is not really wrong. That we accept all. Right? Because doesn't Jesus accept all of them? Right? And so there's truth in that. But they start twisting things in order to become more friendly to the world. But what happens, they were becoming also more like the world. And what happens when you become more like the world, you stop being a thermostat and you become a thermometer. You stop being beef and you become tofu. You start adapting to whatever the world is around you, which is directly contrary to Romans 12.12. 12. It says, do not, Romans 12.2 says, do not be conformed to this world. And this is exactly what the Nicolaitans were introducing with their thoughts and their, you know, their ideals was like, this has become more like the world, right? So their light was no longer so bright. Their saltiness was being lost. So that's the mentality of the Nicolaitans. Nothing's really wrong. Let's keep everybody happy. Don't offend anybody. Agree with everyone, you know. Don't be a hater. Purity isn't that important, you know. God forgives all things. The biblical st standards for righteous and holy living were not really necessary to them, okay. And, you know, Christianity is just part of the truth it's not the whole thing and, and another thing of the Nicolaitans is like there wasn't any more like absolute truths in the Bible it was just like take it or leave it so you see so it kind of it, it was taking away that power so the Nicolaitan doctrine is I mean how many of you see that going on in in this world today right right they call it woke <laughs> You know, 
That's what it sounds like to me a lot. That's just my opinion. That's not in the Bible, just so you know. Okay, but um, and so so this is good. It says this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaites. Okay, but the problem is, you know, the complaint was, you don't love me, or you don't love each other as you did at first. So how does one lose his first love? You know, how do you lose your first love? You know, how do you lose your passion? How um. How do you get to that place where all of a sudden you re- you don't realize you're you're not passionate anymore? You know, it's it's like one step at a time. It's, it, we can liken it a lot to marriage and infatuation. You know, infatuation. If you don't know, it's it's actually something that kicks into your brain with chemicals when you spend too much time with someone, and all of a sudden you're in love. Ah, you know, you live on cloud number nine, and you know, nothing else matters. Everything is perfect. You know, God created infatuation for marriage, you know, to seal the deal so that you wouldn't focus on one's imperfections and, and negative things. But, you know, but being that you made the right choice, the right decision, then you can, you know, crazy glue it with infatuation. And it wears off about two years into, you know, really shit. And after that, you know, you, you better choose to love because it's a decision that you might not be feeling every day, especially if you can see the, pers- the person's imperfections really, really well. Okay? And that happens. You know, but love isn't a feeling. Love is something we choose to do. God, you know, love isn't love until it is given. Right? God so loved that he gave. Right? It's, it's actions. And God loves us just like 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, he's patient with us. He endures all things. He suffers all things. When we are, you know, not being nice, when we're, <clears throat> when we're forgetting about him, when, you know, when we put him as a second, the third or fourth thing in our life, you know, or forget about him, like he still loves us. His love is constant, right? He, he doesn't give up. He still thinks the best of us. He keeps no record of wrong. And that's amazing. But it's a choice that he made. And it teaches us that it's the same way we have to make a choice. You know, so with your spouse, with your kids, with friendships and everything, it's a choice that you make that you're going to keep loving and you're going to keep your love on towards that person and love them the way God loves them regardless of how they're acting or behaving towards you. Okay, so it's a decision. So guess what? Something similar happens with God. Or can happen with God. And I want you to just for a moment think back to the day you got saved. And I don't mean like the day you were, you know, eight years old and you prayed the prayer and that was over. No, I mean like when you really got saved. You know, for some people it might be that they were running from the police and pulling themselves under a car. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I'm sorry, I don't mean like, he. no, he was not running from the police, no. We have a friend, we have a friend whose testimony was like, that's how he got saved. He was running from the police after selling drugs, he rolled under a car, pulled himself up and said, Lord, if you save me from this, I will serve you all the days of my life, right? So maybe you have a testimony like that. I'm glad I cleared your name quickly. 
maybe you have a testimony like that. Or maybe you just, maybe it wasn't as dramatic as that. Maybe you were just like, you know, finally came to realize that there was nothing in life that was ever going to make you happy. You had tried a bunch of different things. You had been in a bunch of different relationships and nothing really, really satisfied you. And you finally decided to give your life to Jesus and you felt something you'd never, ever felt before. And it changed you forever, right? And so just think for a moment of that day. Now just close your eyes and just, just remember that day for a moment. It's a sacred day. It's a sacred moment because it's the day... And the moment that you were translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's the day and the moment when your soul was pulled out from the pit of hell, right? And your name was written on the book of life. It's the day where you were adopted into his family. When you were an orphan and you became a son, you became a daughter. When you became fully loved, when you experienced love for the first time. Wow, that day, see? And so when you remember that day, you, I mean, I could start crying right now just because you think of his goodness. And it's just as real today as it was back then. But when time goes by and we forget those encounters with God, and we, and we get busy. See, that, that's what happened to the church of Ephesus. They were doing good, but they got so busy that they forgot about their first love. This could happen in marriage, too. You're so in love, but you get busy with life. You start walking side by side, just getting things done, getting life done. And you forget about your first love. And what you need to do is now you need to face each other again. And walk together, face to face. Right? And that happens in our relationship with the Lord many times. Maybe you got said 10, 10, 10, years, uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago, however long it was. And at first you were on fire for the Lord. At first you raised your hands. You danced like nobody cares. You know, you, you told everyone about Jesus. You invited people to church. You witnessed to people. You prayed for people. You did not care what people thought about you. You were so passionate about God, like he had changed your life. You had just been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. So nothing matters compared to eternity, right? Well, that is still true today. And so what God is saying is like, hey, you're doing really good, but I have this one thing against you. You've forgotten about your first love. See, Jesus holds that against us. <laughs> he, he, he feels too, you know. He, he's telling the church, I'm not saying this. He's telling the church, it, this is the one thing I'm holding against you <laughs> right now. This is the one thing I, I, I would love for you to work on right now. It's like, come back to your first love. Like you did at first. Like you loved one another at first. Um, so how do you go back to your first love? You know, how do you go back to your first love? 
You know, when you were passionate, you remember that passion? You remember that obedience? It was easy, right? I mean, even in marriage. Like, you did things you didn't want to do. You went to places you didn't want to go. Why? Because you're in love. What are you doing at the opera, dude? I don't care. Why? Because you're in love. You went on a mission trip? You don't like to travel and let alone, you know, be in a rough place. You're in love with Jesus. He just saved your life. So, you know, it's so easy. We could get busy and lose our passion. And God is saying, hey, you're doing really good and all these other things. But I would love it if you got back for your first love. You know, I would love it if it was like at the beginning. So how do we get back to that, right? To that place of willing, obedient, you know, where he's not asking you to sacrifice everything, but you were willing to sacrifice everything. And if you ask yourself today, maybe you're not so willing, so quick to sacrifice everything. It's not about doing it or not. It's about the willingness. You know, he gave his life. So are you willing to give up, you know? And you're here today, so it's amazing, you know. But sadly, there's a lot of people that have left the church over the years. And and you think, like, how how far and cold do you have to be from your first love that you can't even gather for one and a half to two hours corporately a week? That's pretty far, right? And so not to judge people, but we need to pray for them. And we need to make sure that we don't end up being those. I almost feel as if we should stop the live stream right now. It's kind of awkward with us aren't here. <laughs> they lost the awe and wonder of God because of their busy activity. They lost the awe and wonder of God. See, every time we're in worship, we have the opportunity to stand in awe and wonder of God. Because the moment we stop being in awe and wonder of God, we walked into entitlement. We take it as for granted, deserve it, it's grace, it's done, it's mine, you know. And we lose the wonder and the awe of our salvation. So, Let's start the year, you know, regaining our first love, our first passion. You know, I want you to know, you're not alone there. We've all been there. Sometimes we accidentally go there. Not because we wanted to, you know, the, the, the Ephesian church, the church of Ephesus, they, they didn't want there. Like, they were, they were doing good work for the kingdom. Like, you'll, you'll read the rest of the letters. Some of them, like, are way off. <laughs> like, some of them are, like, you know, tolerating and allowing horrible things, you know, like crazy sexual immorality and things like that, you know. So the church of Ephesus wasn't really doing anything wrong. But God comes and he's like, hey, you just kind of forgot about me. And it's about me. And if that's not the first and the center of everything, then, you know, what does First Corinthians say? Like, you can prophesy, you can do miracles, you can feed the poor, you can give up your body. And if there's no love, 
It's like a clanging cymbal. It means nothing. You know, but it also is with him. You know, if you don't love him, he's like, you know, it's like, I don't care what all you can do for me if you forget about loving me. And it's not about leaving, you know, the work that needs to be done for the kingdom, but it's about priorities. You know, first things first. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12 It says, but, no, no, 24, 12. Let's see if I find it. Oh, here we go. It says, sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. Different version says, you know, uh, sin increases where the love of people have grown cold. And so that's a very um, clear indicator for us. And we can see it around us in the world, right? People fall away from the church, but also sin increases in immorality. And if you remember what what the work of the Nicolaitans are, they're making way for the compromise, for compromise. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay, everything is fine, we're just, it's just for the kingdom, it's just to reach more people, it's like, it's okay, don't be a hater, right? And, And that compromise is making room for sin to increase, Right? But it's also the, at the root of that is the love of people that, the love that grew cold. The love of people that grew cold. Yeah. So, right here is telling us, and it's a warning for us, or it's a calling to come back to our first love because it's saying, if we don't have this right, right, if our, if our first love isn't in the right place with Him and with others, then it leads to the works of the Nicolaitans. And it also will, the the more cold our grow loves towards the Lord, the more place we allow for sin. Are you with me? So how do we get back to our first love? Well, We must do the works that we did at the beginning. If you um, if you've ever uh, gone through this in your marriage, uh, one of the things that we recommend people do when they fallen out of love is what to get back to the things they did at first, right? See, a lot of times we think the feelings aren't there, therefore there's no more love, but that's a lie. Feelings follow actions, okay? So you do the works, you get back to the works that you did at the beginning, and then the feelings will follow. So that's true in marriage, but it's also true in our relationship with God. So if if today you say like, yes, I feel like I've lost my first love. I don't have the passion that I did when I first got saved. I don't do the things that I used to do before. I don't have the willingness to serve or to do for God what I did before, you know, then yes, you need to get back to your first love and remember the joy of your salvation. You know, David said, return to me the joy of my salvation. Sometimes we lose the joy of our salvation, but there's a great joy in that. Then we're, we're called to live into that every day and to stir that up. In just the same way you do that in a marriage and you get back to doing the things that you used to do before, 
buying the flowers again, writing the little notes, kissing in front of the kids till they gross out. <laughs> Sorry, Hayden. You get back to doing the things that you did before and the feelings follow. But it's the same thing with the Lord. What did you do with God before? You used to read your Bible first thing every morning. It used to be your priority. You never, ever used to miss church. Now, sometimes you go. It's not the performance. It's not the works of having to go to church. It's not that. That's just like, that just shows where your priorities are, where your heart is, right? Actions follow the heart. And so how do we get back to our first love? Because I don't want my love to grow cold towards the Lord. So I'm not going to, I'm going to get back to worshiping and putting my hands up in the air like I just don't care. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to sing out loud because I, I don't even care who hears me or how off key I sing. Because those are the things that I used to do when I first got saved, and I loved it, and I was on fire for God, and I used to tell people about Jesus, but then I got jaded, and I got hurt, and then people rejected me, and so I stopped it. Well, get back to the things that you did when you first got saved, and rekindle your first love with Jesus again. Amen? And so I want to pray for you this morning, and if you would just close your eyes where you're at, and I'm going to ask the prayer team to be available in just a moment. This is really, really important, see? And, uh, and th- this is a, a saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, I, I'm turning back to my first love. Because I can't even love other people genuinely if my first love isn't in place, in the right place. I want my passion back. I want the joy of my salvation restored to me. So Father, this morning I thank you that you are good. You're so amazing, so loving. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've uh, reminded us all of the day that we got saved and the place that you pulled us out of. And I thank you I thank you that you're so good. I thank you that that is just as real today as it was back then. And right now, I just pray, uh, anybody here who's feeling guilt or condemnation for, for letting their love grow cold, we just wash that in the blood of Jesus. We say, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But today, we, we make a conscious choice to get back to our first love to get back to our first love. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would right now just instruct us in our hearts. What are those things that we enjoyed and that we loved doing when we first got saved, that we were passionate about, that maybe we've lost over the years? And I pray that you would instruct us right now into those things. Whether it was witnessing, whether it was how we worship, whether it was our priority, in serving or or were there maybe we even stopped reading our bibles or or praying like we used to pray before and we say we don't want our love to grow cold towards you ever forgive us for that we repent today 
We turn around, we, we change the way we think about this. And we say, it's not okay. It's not okay. We will not be like one of those that just lets their love grow cold and now it's just gone and not important. But we say, we will stay on fire for you. We will, we will keep the joy of our salvation. And so today we ask you, God, would you just restore that? Holy Spirit, would you restore that to us today? Would you restore that to us today? Just right there in your place where you are, just ask him in your own words. Say, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. May I never lose the wonder. May I never lose the wonder. May I never lose the wonder. of your mercy, of your salvation, of your redemptive power. May I never lose the wonder of what you did for me on the cross. May I never take it for granted. Forgive me for the times that I've done it. I come back to you today. You're my first love, my number one priority. You, Jesus. I'm going to invite you, uh, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up here. And if, um, if that was you today, just come and get some prayer this morning, you know, and just, just say, Lord, restore to me my passion, my passion, my joy. You know, just think about, um, think about the feast and the, and the celebration that was done when the, when the prodigal son returned home, right? That was a party. There was feast, there was joy, you know. And I'm not saying that the church of Ephesus or that you today, you know, backslid or anything like that. But we're just talking about first love, priorities, passion. Let's start this year with our love, our first love in the right place. Amen. Amen. Mm. That's so good. Why don't you stand with me this morning? James, would you come up, please, and dismiss us?